I'm going to share from Luke, uh, the 24th chapter, and I'm going to trust that the prayer that God gave Mike would be very effective in me and in all of us right now. So in Luke chapter 24, start at verse 13. Look at what it says. And behold, two of them went that same day, and of course the same day that it's referring to is the crucifixion. We talked about this recently, uh, how there was so much that was going on during that crucifixion time. You know, there was a mob. They were crying out. They were celebrating the death uh, of Jesus. And then there were others there that were that he had died for, and, and there were relationships uh, prior to his death that he had established with them and the beauty of those relationships. Uh, but there was a lot of fear going on, but God was doing something incredible, regardless of all those circumstances and situations. And, of course, we know that Christ was fulfilling uh, the reality of the plan of God through his Son. And so, again, that was the crucifixion day. And it says this, And behold, two of them went that same day, and that was the same day, to a village called Emmaus. <laughs> that word Emmaus was quite interesting because what it, the interpretation of it in the Greek is wandering. <laughs> the wandering was a result of their thoughts apart from the reality of what God was doing and had accomplished. That same day, they, and they went to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem, about three score furlongs, and we can talk about that later. And they talked together, listen to what it says, of all these things which had happened. And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Boy, what a beautiful picture, huh? He, he, he went with them, and I believe without a doubt, with a preponderance of these scriptures, they were both born again. They were both born again. And it says, and Jesus went with them. How many times, even when we wander in our own thoughts, we forget him. He never does. He's going with us. He goes with us. And in Hebrews 13, 5, and in Joshua 1, 5, he never leaves us, nor forsakes us. He drew near them, but, but, and this was Mike's prayer this morning. I thought it was very interesting. doesn't surprise me of the oneness. Uh, I, I do love it, though. And look at what it says. But their eyes were holding. In other words, something else had grabbed them. It wasn't dependence on him and his word. It wasn't that. It was, it was the sight of their own reasoning, which was just simply... The, the, them functioning in the flesh under the power of the enemy. And they were wandering, but their eyes were holding. That's what, that's what Hebrews 12, verse 2 is talking about. It's, it's talking about when, when I see verse, uh, uh, verse 1, wherefore lay aside every weight. What's a weight? You're carrying all these thoughts about what happened. That's what they were doing. They were carrying all these thoughts that could potentially lead to sin. And that's what potentially, when we begin to wander in our own thoughts apart from him, we begin to carry things and make ourselves responsible for them. And that can lead to sin. It's all it can lead to uh, when we don't place things on the burden bearer in Psalm 55, verse 22, and in 1 Peter 5, verse 7. So we can see clearly here 
that their eyes were holding. That's why Hebrews 12, 2 says, looking away from all that will distract unto Jesus. How does the enemy distract us from, from experiencing who Christ is in us? Through the wandering of what we would think would be our own thoughts. And of course, they're not. And they can, if we continue in them, they can, they'll, they'll only enter into sins. But their eyes were holding that they should not know him. Now, they knew him, I believe, as far as salvation, but they weren't experiencing him as their present reality. You know, when I have a present reality, it's a present reality that's done away with my past and taken care of and prepared for me a most glorious eternal future. And he said unto them, he said unto them, what manner of communications are these that you have one another? In other words, he says, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? We would say that today. What are you talking about as you're continuing on? And to another as you walk and are sad. <laughs> because what were they doing? They were wandering in their own thoughts, separated experientially from Christ. And as a result, all it could do was make them what? Sad, depressed. They're being depressed. Sad. And one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered unto him, <laughs> said unto him, listen to this, are you only a stranger in Jerusalem? I don't know. You're going to tell me who was the strange ones? Who was the strangers? I mean, to think outside of Christ, the full thought of God, who's the word in John 1, 1. What do we become? Strangers. And how do we act? Strange. That's right. We become lone strangers. All alone strangers. Okay? And one of them said unto him, Are you a stranger in Jerusalem? Have you not known the things which are come to pass there in these days? So what he's doing is he's talking to them even before the crucifixion, he's talking about what was even leading up to it. But were their thoughts his? Did they understand the scriptures? Did they receive the teaching that he taught them so abundantly while he was still alive in his humanity on the earth, of course? We know he came back uh, after the resurrection, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. It's crystal clear in the scriptures. And he walked with them a number of days. I believe it was 40 days. Anyway, here we have this. And, and, and he said unto them, what things? <laughs> you know, God would ask us that this morning. What thing? Basically, what things are you thinking? What things are you thinking? Is it doubt? Is it fear? Is it confusion? Is it loneliness? And they sent unto him concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet, mighty indeed in word before God and all the people. Now look at And how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him. He is a dead Christ. That's what he is to us in our experience when we wander in our own thoughts. And boy, I take a burst. Now he's alive. And he's interceding for us. By name, that's John 10, verses 3 and 4, by name. 
He's interceding for us in Romans chapter 8 and verse 36. Uh, 34, I should say. Romans 8, verse 34. He intercedes for us livingly. He's a living Savior who intercedes for us in Hebrews 7, 25. He ever lives that way. He's ever our, ever our living intercession the whole time we're here. He never leaves us nor forsakes us. Okay? And in Hebrews 9, verse 24. What things they said unto him concerning, concerning Jesus of Nazareth. They, they crucified him. They basically they murdered him. They took him away from us. You know, that's what the enemy's thoughts do. He wants to take away the reality of Christ in our own in our experience. That's what he wants to do constantly. Right? And, 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 and they crucified him. Who was it? The, those that were in charge. The chief priests. Those that had authority. Not of Christ. Similar to our circumstances today, especially in our country. Yep. They were chief priests and rulers Was the fact that they were chief and rulers, was that their own thought? It was. As far as they as far as those those that were chief and thought they were rulers, yes. They thought they were getting away with something. They had their plans. They were going to get rid of them. Just like the spirit of the ages in our country right now. And that's why, again, it's not political, it's spiritual. These are spiritual issues we're dealing with. But, look at what he said, look at what he said. But we trusted that it had been he which would have redeemed Israel. What were they saying? Well, because we wandered in our thinking, we were left to only up to our time period when we wanted something. <laughs> when we wander, when Christ is in our experience, we're going to start wandering, and then we're going to start wanting things our way. Is it God's way? Is Christ God's way? In John 14, 6, our, our time's in his hands, his hands. In Psalm 31, verse 15, are we in his hand? In John 10, 28 and 29. Look what it says. But we, had tr- we trusted that it had been he which would have redeemed Israel. And beside all this, today is the third day since these things were done. What is he saying? Well, he said he would rise the third day. And we don't know where he is. He did all these things for us. He taught us all these truths about himself, just like he does with us today in our position in Christ. And we wander in our thinking, and somehow he's left us to our own thoughts, which truly are not our own thoughts. Listen, no man is master of himself. In Matthew 6, verse 24, you cannot serve two masters, meaning you can't give your mind over to two sources of thinking. It's either one or the other. You'll love one and hate the other, or hate one and love the other. But you cannot be master of yourself. Someone with their thought force, with their fallen will, or Christ our will, with their will, with their thought force, are going to seek to function in and through you. Besides all this, today is the third day since these things were done. Yay! And certain women also of our company made us astonished, which were early at the sepulchre. In other words, they didn't even believe them. 
Remember the women? Remember Mary in John, the 20th chapter of John in the 17th verse? You know, at first she didn't recognize him either. But oh boy, when she, when he said her name, and no one can say our name like he can. As soon as she, as soon as he said her name, Mary, she said, oh God, teacher, master, now you're mastering me with your thoughts. You are my full thought. Christ is our full thought. Go quickly and tell my disciples. You go tell them. And they did. Yeah, but where is he? By sight, we don't see him. You know, we're wandering in our own thoughts. We thought God was going to do things. I know because your thought was when you wanted it. I don't know. Is, <laughs> is anything too hard for God? He doesn't ask us in Genesis 18, verse 14, if anything is too hard for us. He said, is anything too hard for God in the accomplishment of his thought through his son, the word? Is it? No, but it will return unto you at God's set appointed time. And Sarah, you will experience life, new life born out of you. Tremendous. Yeah? And when they found not his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels, which said that he was alive. That's going back to Matthew 28, 1 through 6. Look at it. They went there looking for a dead Christ. They wanted to take care of a dead Christ. He's out walking with these two guys. The angels, which were messengers, by the way, whether they were angels or appeared in human form in Hebrews 13, verse 2, they were his, just his messengers, just like we are, to be ambassadors of the truth of 2 Corinthians 5, 19 and 20. We're his ambassadors. And he beseeches uh, all of us through each other to be reconciled. That's why we can exhort one another as, as members in the body of Christ. Exhort and rebuke one another. Why? Because we're, we're as ambassadors for each other as a joint that supplies in, in Ephesians 4 and verse 16. And certain of them, again in, in 24, which were with us, went to the sepulcher, found it not, so as the woman had said, but they saw him not. You see? He's not going to reveal him to the, to the sight of the flesh. He's not going to re reveal himself to the sight of our flesh and our own thinking, which is just the atmosphere. No, he's not going to do that. No, he's not going to help the flesh. He crucified it in Romans 6, 1 through 6. And, he's, and we're brand new in him in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. And we're not to know any man after the flesh. That starts with thinking in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 16. Because the truth is, in 1 Corinthians 2.16, we have the mind of Christ. We have God's full thought. Christ is the treasure in 2 Corinthians 4.7 in our vessels. And boy, that's tremendous, boy. They saw him not. He was not revealing himself to sight. But boy, when he speaks his word, and when he speaks his word, he speaks it to us individually because it has to do with our name our personal nature in him, and he speaks it, and oh my. Do you ever study the word in certain scriptures? You know, they come out and you go, oh, wow, that's so personal. Yeah, yeah that's Christ, the word, through the power of the Holy Spirit, speaking unto us and right. constantly reminding us and refocusing us that we truly are his children. We're not orphans. That's right. 
John 14, 3, I will not leave you comfortless. I will not leave you as orphans. Now you have a father that loves you and you're in the son of his love who's delivered you and made you qualified to function in the light in Colossians 1.12 to function in the light and reality of a proper image in 1 John 1.7. And we can see those things so beautifully and clearly uh, when we submit our will to him and become teachable and entreatable, all of us. And then he said unto them, O fools, O foolish ones, I don't, I don't believe for a second, you know, because a lot of these are the mood, the tense, the case, and the voice to understand the original languages, the force of what they were said. And I believe he was saying it with a broken heart to them. I really do. I don't think it was. There was no reaction in anger in his love for them in that particular case. There can be <laughs> loving, godly, chastising anger. But in this case, I believe he was saying, oh, fools. And we know, and we studied it, and uh, Sophie read it to us the other day in the Amplified Bible in Proverbs 18, verse 2. <laughs> That's a fool. He's only interested in, in expressing his own opinion, his own thoughts, based upon himself under the influence of the liar. Everything about the flesh, all of its lusts are absolute it's lies. That's why it says, when Jesus said to those Pharisees, those chief rulers, chief priests, he said to them in John 8, verse 44, you are of your father, the devil. He was a murderer, and you will do the lust of your father. Who fathers us in the flesh? That's right. Based upon, and that's how he does it, through lusts, right? Through lies, and lusts are based upon lies. Like, if I don't get this thing, and I don't get it, and the enemy doesn't give it to me, somehow I'll, I'll be less than what I should be. Like I need stimulants and other things to be able to function or to escape, and none of us do. And believe me, I'm not just talking about drugs and alcohol. It can be sex. It, it can be a going shopping. Any kind of stimulant. Doesn't matter. Seriously. You know, we, we call it, you know, they call it, you know, um, what do they call it? Retail therapy. Well, yeah, that's just something... You've got to escape somehow. But you, yeah, it's designed to escape his presence for believers that are in Christ. Oh, fools, listen, and slow of heart. Heart there is your mind. Slow of thinking. I gave you these thoughts. You're not submitted to them. You're slow, God. Oh, boy. Well, that's not too convicting, is it, to me? And slow of mind and emotions to believe. Mind first. To believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things? Okay? What's going on in our country and the world right now? For those in power, do you think you're going to suffer? Well, 2 Timothy 2.12, if we suffer with him, we'll reign with him. Romans 8.18, same thing, suffering. Can't even compare the glory. Paul in his body was filling up the sufferings of Christ in Colossians 1 and verse 24. Had Christ still been here, they still would have been his. But you know, part of our, part of our growth, part of our call, part of who we are in Christ, are we in him, is this. This is this. And I wish I could say this loud and clear to all my brothers in Christ. One with them. 
not accusing them and condemning them for their fear or, or irrationality, but for the fact that I've done that and I understand that. I'm not a judge. None, there's only one. And our fathers, we don't approach him as a judge. He's a loving father because his son who brought us to him has dealt with everything. This is what it says here. Philippians 1, verse 28. And in nothing terrified by your adversaries. Do we have adversaries? <laughs> are they ruling right now? Yeah. Who are they ruling under? Are we wrestling against in Ephesians 6, 12, blood and flesh? No. Stop it. And by the way, the battles of the Lord with scores of scriptures. Okay. And nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition. In other words, this is, this is the proof of where they're headed. This is the proof of where they're heading. Eh? Which is to them an evident token of perdition. Listen to this one. But to you of salvation. Awesome. Deliverance. That's why we don't go as the church through the tribulation period. We're not post-tribulationists. We're not mid-tribulationists. We are pre-tribulationists because of the truth of Revelations 3, verse 10. He will save us out of that hour. It is not dia, through. It is ek, out of. <laughs> Thank God there's no wrath for us. Christ took it all. You see it in John 3 and verse 36. There's no wrath for us as his church in 1 Thessalonians 1:10. And 1 Thessalonians 5, 9. He dealt with wrath, and that's why we even teach loving chastisement. <laughs> it's not wrath and anger making us pay for what we did. <laughs> oh, I love the truth of the word of God. In nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. There's those little of words <laughs> loaded. For unto you, you and Christ, who are of God, it is given in the behalf of Christ. You listen to this. Suffering righteously. You can read that in Matthew, the fifth chapter, 6 through 10. But here it is. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ. That's teaching Colossians 1.24 again. Filling up in us that apportioned suffering that is ours in Christ. Look. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, not only to receive all those beautiful truths, but for now, as we're on our way to go into glory, we pass through suffering, but also to suffer for his sake. <laughs> Look at having the same conflict. What's the conflict? Blood and flesh? No. Ephesians 6, 12. No, it is not. Having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. Back to, to, as we, we, uh, well, we still have a, that was, uh, that was Philippians chapter 1, um, uh, 28, 29, and 30. Now, here we are in Luke, the 24th chapter, again, and then Luke 24, verse uh, 26. Look at what Christ said to them. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into what? His glory. Glory. His glory. Now. Is Christ in us? Yes. He's absent physically, but is he in us in Colossians 1.27? Christ in you, the guarantee, the hope of glory. We're on our way to glory, but what are we passing through? Receiving, believing, and suffering. 
How did he get the glory? He suffered. Of course, like no human being ever did. Ever. So ought not, these, ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he's into the word of God, into the word of God, again, the whole counsel of God in Acts 20, 27, goes into not just the Pauline epistles and the full understanding of them, but all the scriptures are given by the inspiration of God. They're God-breathed in 2 Timothy 3 and verse 16. Beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures, listen to this, the things concerning himself. That's all the types, that's all the prophecies, that's God's whole plan. That's what it's teaching. And again, that's why we teach in 2 Peter 1, 19 to 21, we need to know who we are. Light has to dawn on us about who we are in Christ because we have him who's far above all prophecy. Listen, prophecy will end, but not who we are in Christ. That will be forever, and God, forever and ever and ever. And boy, oh boy, wonderful place, beautiful Christ. And they drew nigh unto the village... Where they went, and he, and he made as though he would have gone further. You know that? You know, it's, it's like God's, te- you know, testing us. Do you want me? I'm going to go, I'm going to leave now. But do you still want me? Do you, st- do you still desire me? I desire you. You're all fair, my love. There's no spot in you in Song of Solomon 4, 7. I am my, my beloved's in Song of Solomon 7, verse 10. And his desire is towards me. But do we desire him when he knocks in Revelations 3.20? When he's knocking on the door of our heart, do you want me? I want you, but I won't force myself. I'll knock on your will, and I'll arrange things so that you function in your will, in my love for you. But do you want me? (laughs) And he made that he would have gone further, but this was a smart thing that they did. It's pretty smart for us, too. They constrained him, saying... Abide with us. Abide with us. For it is toward the evening, and the day is far spent. And look what it says. And he went in to tarry with them. And it came to pass, as he sat at meat with them, again, this speaks of an exchange and fellowship of that same life, he took bread, oh boy, and blessed it and break it and gave it to them. Okay? These are the memorial sacrifices brought out All through the scriptures, his blood poured out first so that we could partake of the loaf as his body. And that's the teaching of so many other scriptures. Again, we have that in Exodus, the 12th chapter, verses 1 through 13. And then we have that whole teaching in John, the 6th chapter, starting at verse 30 all the way to 57. That manna, (laughs) that manna that was in uh, the desert, in the desert... uh, suffering time in Exodus, uh, the 16th chapter, and it's if, uh, 13, 14, and 15 in those verses, in, in that chapter, I should say. They said, abide with me, and he came into them. He went in to tarry with them, and it came to pass, as he sat at meat, he took bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave it to them. And when they partook of that, his intimacy, sharing this life, this brokenness, look what it says, and their eyes were opened. Oh, God, open our eyes to our reality. We're not stuck in prophecy. That's God's plan. 
And by the way, in Deuteronomy 32, verse 4, his way is perfect, his plan is perfect, in Psalm 18, verse 30, and 2 Samuel 22 and verse 31. It's perfect, it's complete meaning. He completed everything in Christ. We're completed him, finished, in Colossians 2 and verse 10. And again, that's what 2 Peter 1, 19 to 21 is teaching. We're completing him in Colossians 2, 10. And their eyes were opened, and they knew him. Individually, experientially, they knew him. He was their reality. He's continually our new reality, fresh. We will never come to the end of how much he loves us. In Ephesians 3, in verse 19, right now in time, because he is our eternal life, right now in 1 John 5, 11, but on our way to an eternal face-to-face meeting with him in 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 12, but he is our life right now. In Colossians 3, verses 3 and 4. Their eyes were opened. Oh boy, they knew him. And now they started not walking by their own thoughts. They started depending on an experiential reality of truly who Christ was in them and who he was in them. And I don't believe they know it like you and I do right now, but we can glean from these things from our position in Christ. And they knew him, and look what it says, and he vanished. He ceased to be seen of them. You know why? He is not going to reveal himself to human sight, doubt, fear, irrationality. He's not going to do it. God won't give anything to the flesh. He won't help the flesh because you know why? It's already crucified, so why do we go there? Not going to do it. Won't do it. No. No, look at what it says. He vanished out of what? Their sight. Thank God for that. When he finally vanishes out of our own thinking, Because in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, we walk by faith, absolute dependence, not our own sight, not our own wandering thinking, but by absolute faith dependence and faith obedience, again, in Romans 1, verse 5, faith obedience and salvation, and faith obedience to the Word all the way through this time until we get into eternity with Him. And then, because, you know, everything about right now, for us right now on this earth, is faith dependence. It's faith. Evidence not seen, but crystal clear in Hebrews 11, verse 1. Crystal clear. Everything about us right now is faith. And trusting him fervently and emphatically. But everything about sight, everything about heaven and his presence will be sight for all eternity. But not here. Not here. Then they said one to another. Oh, listen to this one. They said one to another. Did not our heart burn within us? Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way and while he opened to us the scriptures? And that's why in 1 Thessalonians 2.13, they said, we thank God. I thank God that when you heard the word, You knew, you received it, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God, which works effectually in you when you absolutely believe and receive it in faith dependence. Thank God for that. It's not the word of men. It's the word of God. That's what makes it necessary 
for those that are the gifts themselves in Ephesians 4 verse 8 to be connected to the head continually so that they can teach in Ephesians 4 11 to 16. They said one to another, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us by the way? And he opened to us the scriptures. And I'm, I'm going to stop there because I'm going to read a few other scriptures. Read all the way to the 53rd verse and, and you get a full understanding of that. But I want to focus this morning, and I believe God wants me to. Did not our hearts burn within us? The word of God was like a fire. Right? The word, the word was like a fire. What, what is that? How should we know that? How should we understand that? And here's some of the scriptures to help us to do that. Here is Jeremiah 23, 20, uh, 29. Is not my word like as a fire? Isn't it like a fire? Boy, when we, I want to, God wants us to understand. I'm going to, you can read the rest of the verse. He said, is not my word like as a fire? Listen to this. And we'll get into some of these just quickly, these scriptures, and then we'll, we'll stop. And then, you know, the vision that God was giving of the risen Savior to John, the beloved apostle, while he was on the Isle of Patmos. Was he suffering there? Yeah, they tried to boil him in oil three times to kill him. They couldn't. Not until it's his time. Listen, not until it's your time to go home and be with the Lord can anyone take you out of his hand. Not nothing. Nothing can. We're more than conquerors in Romans 8.37. So while he's on this insane asylum for the most hardened criminals, what a place to be, huh? We're headed there. <laughs> Thank God he's with us. Revelations chapter 1. He said in verse 10, I was in the spirit on that day. It's always good to be that way. <laughs> I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet, right? Saying, I am. I am. That's the answer to everything. I am. Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. What you see, what you see and experience, write in a book. And send it unto the seven churches that are totally one, by the way, which are in Asia, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And I turned, and this is always a good thing to do, and I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. And being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. We don't have the time to go into these things, but boy, are these incredible. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the pap. Did you hear that one? How do I know that it was Christ that Isaiah was seeing high and lifted up? Because if you read Isaiah, the sixth chapter, those first three verses, then you take it with this. One in the midst, like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot and gird about the paps with a golden girdle. In other words, in that scene in Isaiah, he was so full of who he was, there was no room for anyone. They, had, they were flying, they were above it. <laughs> because the ground where they were was holy. That's Joshua 5 and verse 15. That's Exodus 3. In verse 5, the ground that we walk on is holy because that's our foundation and that's Christ himself. We need to be careful in Hebrews 10, verse 29, how we walk. 
Verse 14, and his head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow. <sighs> He's cleansed us as white as snow. His head, that's how we're to think. His head, his head, we're all this thinking. The head, Christ the head, Colossians 1.18 and 2.19. We think in the head as his body, white as snow. We have his thought life. We have him as our full thought. His eyes, his eyes were as a flame of what? Fire, purity, holiness, holy love, pure love. <laughs> Nothing mixed with it. Not a single thing. And his feet like, un, like unto brass as if they burned in a furnace. That's what he went through on the cross. The holiness of God the Father consuming all of our sins that were upon him as the sin sacrifice in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 21. <laughs> Boy, and his voice as the sound of many waters. You know, that water that washes us in Ephesians 5, 26 and 27, he constantly is cleansing us. We constantly have a provision. We constantly have it. Waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and we, we don't want to go any further, in his right hand, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, Hebrews 4.12, Ephesians 6.17, and his countenance was as the sun shining in his strength, the brightness of it. And I saw him, and I fell at his feet. It's the best place we can be. That's Luke 10, 38 to 42. That's where Mary was sitting, at his feet those precious feet that burned in that furnace for us. He walked a pure life in holiness. But when he went on that cross, all of our sins, I can't even imagine what that must have felt like to him, who's pure and holy. And all the sins and all those effects too were dumped on him, put on him. That's what Job was saying in Job 14, 17. You can read those Scriptures to help us understand. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. I was like, oh no. I was like, you know, I was like Isaiah and said, oh my God, woe was me. And Isaiah 6, 5, I'm undone. I fell at his feet as dead. But you know what he did? He laid his right hand upon me. Saying unto me, and he's saying this to every one of us right now. Fear not. Fear not. I am the first and the last. I am he that lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. And alive forevermore is your life. Fire, fire, fire. You know, that they had a type. That type was in Leviticus. And we'll get into this at another time, too. <clears throat> but in Leviticus, that fire of holiness that Christ was and what he was doing on the cross was fulfilling the type in Leviticus, the first chapter, as the burnt offering to God. That's why it's always God first and always dealt with. That's Genesis 22 and verse 8. So when you see the burnt offering, that has to do with the son dealing with the sin issue between him and God alone. It's not talking about sins yet. Because if, that sin, if he hadn't dealt with that sin issue, <laughs> no sins would have been dealt with of those that would choose so of their free will. Not coerced and chosen apart from their will to be saved at all. But in, Le in Leviticus, the first chapter, 
it says this, if this offering be a, in verse three, a burnt sacrifice, what's a burnt, holy consumed. You know, Christ first and foremost in the teaching of propitiation was consumed holy on the cross. Holy. The fire of God's holiness consumed everything. It consumed and dealt with the sin issue as far as God the Father and the Son. And that same offering that he was, that consumed, it consumed every single sin and the effect of each individual of those that would choose him and be in him. But he had to be a burnt offering, had to be a male, type of Christ, without blemish, type of Christ, he will offer it of his own, listen, voluntary will. <laughs> That's right. Each of us only can do that. Here's a sacrifice. Here's a sacrifice. But no one, I didn't need a go-between. It was Christ. It was the Holy Spirit that was convicting me in John 16, 8 through 11, to receive Christ, to put my hand on him as a sacrifice and say, yes, yes. Had to be each one. Now, that first had to be a burnt offering. And then each of us, after that sin issue was dealt with, now we can touch the substitute who dealt with all of our sins, personal sins, of our own free will. Not free yet until we receive him. Free will, but not free in freedom. Free will, but in bondage. Free, you know, all those lust patterns... And by the way, he consumed that, and we'll bring it out, not today, but soon. We'll e we will either be consumed by his love, or we will be consumed in our experience as believers in Christ by some form of lust. There ain't no question, there's no question about it, okay? And then it says, and he will put his hand upon the head of the burnt offering, and it will be accepted of, for him to make atonement, reconciliation. First part of propitiation, sin issue. That's what John the Baptist was, was saying. Oh my God, there he is. The one who's going to deal with the whole sin sacrifice. Not sins in John 1, 29, sin. Sin issue. He put his hand upon the head of the burnt offering in 1, 4 of Leviticus, and it will be accepted. Oh, when we are accepted in the beloved, in Ephesians 1, 6, we're accepted and we've been reconciled. And that's why God's not calling us to die to certain things. He's calling us to reckon on the fact and in Romans 6, 10 and 11 that we already are dead. We're to reckon on the fact that we're already dead. That's the teaching of, of uh, Romans 6, 11 and the teaching of in our thinking process and in our reality, our position and our proper experience is in Colossians chapter 3, 1 through 4. Our view is to be up, not on things of the earth, up, up, to make atonement, reconciliation for him. That goes into the great truth, the type of Romans 8, 31 to 39, the score of other, scores of other scriptures. But as we wrap this up this morning, we said this, and we'll get into these, because there was a question, I think it was my wife asked about this one word, concupiscence. And we're going to get into that, but not right now. Not right now, it's lost. But it brings it out in detail. That's Colossians 3, verse 5, and other verses where that word is brought up. But listen, this is what, this is what lust is in the flesh, okay? It is epithumio. 
And it means to set our heart, the thing that we treasure on, is something we long for, and in this sense, evilly, something we covet. And it means to fix the heart upon, okay? It means to desire earnestly and stresses the inward impulse rather than even the object desired. So Satan will give you things. will present them to you. Because he knows it's not even the object, it's the heart, that evil heart that's going to come out and cause the confusion and cause the struggle in the experience. <laughs> we can't touch those things this morning. But listen, and God said, you write this down, and I wrote it down, and uh, I wrote it down on my thing that a precious man of God bought me. His initials are Jadiel Martinez. And I wrote them down. I was writing them so fast. And then I just wrote them on the date thing and had to cut it out. He said, write this down, Ed. There's two reasons why the enemy wants you to function in lust, in some form of the flesh. Lust. It's to deaden the retributive justice of God, number one. Because you can't separate the justice of God from his love. Christ, his love literally satisfied the justice of God Almighty. You can't separate the two. And again, that does away with universalism and annihilationism. His wrath for us in Christ. Now for us, do we experience his wrath? No. Will others outside of Christ? Yes. And for all eternity. Universalists. Yes. You can't take like seven words out of those 70 that talk about aeonus and, and aeon and, and age and what that means and say that the rest don't mean that same word that they mean. Their, your argument is on fragile ground, sand, emotions, bad thinking, okay? But for us, it's chastisement, loving chastisement. Now, that has to do, the wrath that Christ finished, his feet burning as brass in a fire, is a picture of, that we said, and that was in Revelations 1 and verse 14. And in that place, that was what he was doing on the cross. It was the retributive justice of God. It was requital, especially for evil. God requires something. I don't know. You face him, and you don't have Christ. The meat qualifying requirement. When we don't, guess what? And there's no chance after you leave this earth and enter into eternity, okay? You don't get out of hell in any measure, okay? Then if you think hell is bad, and I, I heard it is, you're going to be cast into the lake of fire also. The distribution of rewards, though, does go into loss, but it burns it up, Okay? Love and justice in God's nature and character and essence are inseparable. And that's what we have in Christ. That's why there's no judgment for us. Just love. And when we don't function in it, loving chastisement. All right? Oh, Lord. Oh, God. We have so much, Father. Thank you so much for what we have. And even at times as you give us the word this morning, it may seem like so much. But even in the much that we don't yet experience, it's still teaching us humility and dependence. Because when we're ready, when we're most ready, 
you will give us the most of who you are. That's, that's a fact. When we're submitted, and there could be areas when we're not yet submitted, so he wouldn't give that to us if it's the flesh. He certainly, we do have everything in Christ in our position. So, Father, thank you this morning. Thank you for each and every single person here. Father, just bless, bless us all, those that weren't here. Thank you for what you're doing, uh, what you've done here, what you've done here in this area, what you're doing in, uh, in Texas, Father, with the precious local assembly there, and what you've done in Florida, and what you will do in the future, I believe, in all three areas. Thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.